Hello and welcome to episode 221 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz. How's it going, Ian? It's going well, Jason. Happy Paris Air Show Week. And happy first day of summer. Happy first day of summer. And what a beautiful Not day. Summer, like actual summer. Like astronomical summer. Yeah. Like what a beautiful day it is. We placed our order early, I think, and got into the front of the line here in Chicago for the first day of summer weather. So we've done our work and I apologize to anyone who is further back in line and is not enjoying the first day of summer. It'll be winter soon enough. Don't worry. It will tomorrow. It'll be winter tomorrow. That was quick. <laughs> eh, just wait 10 minutes. It'll change. But you know where it's also really, really hot? Like ah, as predicted, oh, oh go in, on. in Paris, Le, Le Bourget yes. actually specifically is very hot. Not just weather-wise. Oh, really? Yeah, there were some orders. What other ways? So many orders and news and things. It's been a little wow. slow the last couple of weeks. I think everyone yeah. was just you know, holding on until they this were week. holding back as, as the, you should do leading up to an air show. And we highly recommend if you have news, uh, do it now or today. Really, the days before you're listening to this podcast because we don't really like air show related news that happens after the air show. So there's a lot of good stuff that's already out. Where do we even begin? I think I know where. I think we begin where the show began with the world's largest single aircraft order in commercial aviation history. By units, not by financial dollars or terms, actually. We will talk about that in a moment. Okay. Okay. Okay, because that's news in and of itself. I know but we'll, that's we'll talk a about that point for you. I know, but yeah, no, getting I, right to the meat of it, Indian Airline Indigo. Not we're not talking about Air India just yet. We'll get to that in a moment. Indigo has signed what was it, an MOU or an LOI? Not an actual firm order just yet, but they intend to buy five hundred A three twenty Neo family aircraft for delivery between twenty thirty and twenty thirty five. That's a lot of orders. That's a lot of orders. That's yeah. I mean it's it's a lot of planes. It is a yeah. lot of planes. I did some back of the napkin math the other day after this announcement and if you took all of Airbus's A three twenty family production capacity between Germany, France, US, and China. It's like eight solid months of Airbus building nothing but aircraft or A320s for Indigo. Nobody else, just Indigo for eight solid months. That is insane. That's a lot of new planes. And Indigo already has a lot of aircraft on order. So including the aircraft they already have on order, this takes their A320neo family order upwards of 1,200 aircraft, which takes their share of the order book to 13% of the entire A320neo family order book. That's insane. One airline. I guess we will look back by 2035, if we're still doing this then, and consider, did this actually happen? Is this pie in the sky, you know, ordering 1,200 aircraft and seeing what gets delivered, or, or is this real? That's a lot of aircraft, especially only aircraft of one specific type. We're not even talking about wide bodies or regional jets or turboprops or anything because Indigo does operate some turboprops, I believe. And they have that like one or two triple sevens operated by Turkish by yep. way of a Russian airline or whatever. This is just the A320neo family, which is crazy. Yeah. And, and we haven't even gotten to, you know, their discussions at 
the Paris Air Show around this order. Yes, this is the world's largest single aircraft order. Great job, us. But we have further designs on international connections. And will the A321XLR be a part of this picture? Certainly. But that doesn't give them the density they need, even though it's a fairly dense aircraft. It doesn't give them the density they need eventually to run you know, the airline that they want to run. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a large wide body order in the coming years from Indigo as well. Or if some of these orders are swapped between 320 Neo and 330, 350, whatever comes next. Yeah, that, that's also entirely possible. Yeah. It's pretty remarkable. What we did not see is any sort of breakdown of the 320 family of aircraft. We don't know what our split between 320s, 321s, even 319s. I don't think they know. Hypothetically. I'm sure they don't know, and they'll figure that out later. But 500 of any one particular aircraft is just an astronomical number. Yeah, I mean, 500 of any group of aircraft, I think is, I mean, this is perfect segue. We talked about the Air India order for 470 aircraft, and that split across, I think, four different aircraft types and two manufacturers. So that, I mean, is incredible in and of itself. And that order was firmed up this week at the Paris Air Show. So that began as either an MOU or an LOI and is now a firm order for 470 aircraft plus 70 options. So that's, I mean- Well, if you look at 70 options, then the Air India could eclipse Indigo. That being said, Air India split between Airbus and Boeing and Indigo is purely an Airbus purchase. Right. So yeah. By volume of aircraft, it it could eclipse it, but not just from one of the Entirely possible. Yeah. So the Air India order for the firm 470 aircraft, and then there's another 70 on that. We've got 140 A320neo, straight A320neo, 70 A321neo, plus six A350-900 and 34 A350-1000. On the Boeing side of things, 197 37 Max, 20 787s, and 10 7X, with the options coming from the Boeing order for 50 additional 737 Max and 20 787s. Ooh, that's a lot of airplanes, but I like the diverse spread of aircraft, yeah. unlike Indigo, which is just like, we'll take 500 of your regular airplane. Air India kind of said, we'll take 470 of everything you got. Your regular airplane. <laughs> they ordered on the menu. Air India went off menu. Yeah, they didn't want to go off menu. But believe it or not, <laughs> other things happened at wait, Paris. Wait, and we're wait, not wait, even wait. done yet. We're recording on Wednesday, June 21st. There is still a day four coming up tomorrow. Historically, the weakest day, of course. Most people have gone home or died of heat exhaustion out on the hot tarmac. But or it's both. not out of the realm of yeah, or both, not out of the realm of possibility that there are additional orders to follow. But obviously, we don't have to spell it out that Airbus is running away with the show unexpectedly with one single order leading the way. But Airbus, so far, these numbers come to us from Flight Global. Thank you very much for these lovely pie charts and bar graphs. Airbus is running away with 66.82% of orders with 846 so far. Boeing comes in a, a lovely second place so far with 28% of the orders, 356, which is nothing to sneeze at. 356 is a solid figure. And then rounding out, you have Embraer with 28 orders, ATR with 24, and then we have Twin Otter with 12. That's cute. 
Yeah. The Twin Otter is keeping pace. Yeah, they're bringing it back. That's nice. We can get into some of the the specifics of the larger orders, I guess. And who should we start with? Well, I think the one to celebrate, I don't know if there are any real larger, I think we've covered the large orders. By comparison, all of the other orders are actually quite small. But the one that I think we want to call out is that the 737-7 now has a European launch customer with Lux Air. They're picking up a few of the smallest variant of the 737 MAX. That's exciting. Yeah. Nice to have a launch customer that isn't Southwest, I guess. Well, I mean- yeah. yeah. <laughs> Southwest has a bunch of those on order. They're they're one of the few. So nice to see that. We have confirmed another airline that will operate one day, the Max 7. Some other very large orders was actually not an airline. This was Avalon, the leasing firm, for 4737 Max 8s. Technically, those were previously undisclosed or unattributed. Now we know it's Avalon. Those will end up somewhere. 30 new orders for the A320neo family from FlyNAS. 25 for the A321neo from Volaris, again, previously unattributed. Who else was there? 15 E195E2 for Azora, previously unattributed again. I'm, I'm sensing a theme here. Qantas, I don't think I knew this before reading this chart right now. Uh, Qantas ordered nine additional A22300. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of looking at the balance of the order book. The top line orders were, I mean, huge, huge orders. But everything else seems to be just like filling in, right-sizing yeah. of the fleets. They're either filling in additional, the room. additional on top of what was already ordered or some new airlines getting in with relatively small orders. Like here we have Philippine Airlines with nine new A350-1000s. That's exciting. And we'll talk a little bit more about is, that is it exciting? in a moment. Is it exciting? It's exciting if you're an accountant That's working true. for Philippine Airlines. Who else we got? China Airlines exercised options for 8787-9. So we probably have talked about that at some point in the past. And now China Airlines, a devout mm-hmm. Airbus customer, going for the 787-9. That's exciting. This one I picked up on as being curiously interesting. Envoy Air, mm-hmm. the wholly owned regional subsidiary of American Airlines, ordered seven E-175s. E-175 non, non-E2, the regular E1, I guess. Keep them coming. It sure feels like the US majors will order the E175 E1, the current 20-year-old version of that aircraft forever because of scope, clause, restrictions, and all that, and reasons, commercial reasons, but that aircraft will just not die. Speaking of which, the E175 E2, yeah, it's a fine plane if you like outdated engines and have commercial reasons to purchase it. Pinter car, how do I pronounce this one? Canarius. Let's just go with Canarius. There we go. Six E195 of two. Canary Islands. That's nice. Mandarin Airlines, six ATR 72s. And you can see we're kind of getting down to the small, almost rounding errors at this point. But Acasa Air, four 737 Max, Air Mauritius, A350 900s, three of those. And wow, Azul. Two ATR seventy two 600s. And there were some other orders, but those were- Hey, hey, hey. Those were really that was well. that was three with an option for two. Thank you very much. Oh, okay. Okay. Then <laughs> apparently Flight Global has that one wrong because it just says two. Oh, wait. No, I'm sorry. You are correct. I read the chart wrong. So we'll yeah, we, we, will, we will link to the Flight Global chart, which maybe has some extra surprises in day four for you that we just don't know about yet. But let's go- Back to the Philippine 
airlines A350-1000 order. And there's something, there's something different about these aircraft, isn't there? Well, there sure is, Jason. So these particular A350-1000s will seat 380 people in three classes, including 24 premium economy seats and 42 in business, which leaves quite the number of people sitting in economy because they will be sitting in a brand new 10 abreast economy configuration. That 10 abreast economy configuration has been enabled by the slimming and shaping of the aircraft fuselage that Airbus has done across the A350 product to allow for slightly more space inside the cabin, which gives the airlines just enough space to go 10 abreast. And Philippine Airlines says, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, it is quite literally called new production standard of the A350, not the most marketing friendly name there. But as you said, it, it slims down various things and lets Let's airlines jam another seat in there. So it goes from 333 to 343. This is not the new standard, even though the thing that enables it is called the new production standard. Airlines can still opt for nine abreast, as Iberia has already done. Iberia was the first airline to take the NPS, as they call it, but they opted to stay with its traditional seats. And Philippines is a strange airline. Over the last decade, they've pivoted from low-cost carrier to ultra-low-cost carrier to full-service carrier, back to low-cost carrier. And I guess we're back to long-haul, low-cost, high-capacity with this new 343 layout. I don't love it. In the back, of course. But there will, I'm sure, be a lovely business class and passable premium economy. We know that much. But yeah, never a great moment anytime you get a new, <laughs> new seat in every row. It's at least there is this new production standard making it more palatable than the few existing airlines that offer 10 abreast on the 350 in a very, very squishy way. So it's better than that something. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's an argument to be made. It's better than that. But the tone of your voice kind of gives that all away where it's okay, but it ain't great. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather not have to deal with that. But now it's just one more thing you're going to have to look out for when you book a flight. Is it an A350 with 10 seats across or nine seats across? And up until now, you knew basically it would be nine seats across unless you're flying Air Caribs or Blue, whatever, the French, the French ultra low cost long haul carriers that go out into the, the French B and French B, Air Caribes. It used to be blue something. I don't know. French blue, I think it was, but it looked too much like jet blue. So now it's not called that. <laughs> I don't know. But it was contained to those two airlines. And now it's going to be a lot more complicated, but good for them. Yeah. So let's talk about what else came out of the Paris Air Show this week. We would be remiss if we didn't touch upon your favorite. I don't want to call it vaporware because like it's the not building my building. vaporware, but, but I'm aware of its existence. So I'm, I, I am aware that thing. there are people that are trying to make this thing happen. Yes. So Boom gave an update on its proposed supersonic overture aircraft. They're moving forward with picking up suppliers and they've got a Spanish firm, Aeronova, which will build the wings. 
Italy's Leonardo has signed on to do the wing box and fuselage sections, and Asituri will build the empennage. So they're cobbling together aero structures, firms to build this aircraft. They've got the engine design is starting to be more firm than it was, but it doesn't, from my reading of the update, they don't have anyone to make the engine for them. That's an important bit of information there. So we'll see where that comes in. This goes back to Boom partnering with FTT a while ago. We discussed that. So I'm not sure who's going to build that engine or if they've decided on that yet. But the Boom CEO, Blake Scholes, says that they are, quote unquote, on track to secure the system suppliers by the end of this year. The news that did come out of this is that they have, in fact, pushed back by a year their first flight and entry into service dates. So instead of 2026 and 2029, it is now 2027 and 2030. So that was actually the most surprising part of the discussion, to my mind, is that they have officially moved things back. And just one year. Sure. Yeah. I buy it. Sure. Sure. Let's see. What else happened at the- A lot uh, of things happened. At the Paris Air Show. I know. I'm, I'm just still trying to figure out. We're still on the Paris Air Show list. So it was a really good show. Oh, or it is a really good it's, show. It's going to keep going. It's, it's, it's going to keep going. Let's go with, I mean, kind of hard to cover this on a podcast so you can't see what we're talking about, but I want yeah, to talk about- it. I want to talk about what you just highlighted right there in the show notes. The Airbus A350 freighter livery competition winner, because I like it. Yeah. But you have some notes. I do have some notes. I think so. The link is in the show notes. If you haven't clicked the link to follow along, please do because it makes the conversation much more accessible. But if you haven't, we'll just say that the winning design features the forward fuselage in front of the tail, really, is a cardboard box design that I think they did a really nice job with. And by that, I mean, there's shipping labels and shipping symbols and- Contents, the, the, icons, and all yeah, sorts of Yeah. The, the main cargo door says, open here for business. And I thought that was all really well done. And then they left the Airbus carbon fiber design on the, the house livery, I guess you could call it at this point. Yeah. So that first appeared on the A350 registration FWWCF, carbon fiber because that's what a lot of the aircraft is built with. That was the marketing design. And so that's what they went with. And that livery looks stunning on the original aircraft. But to me, on this particular one, it just seems like it was, they were like, ah, we don't know what to do with the tail. Ah, just stick the carbon fiber thing on it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it looks great by itself. It does. Yeah, you're right. It does look a little incomplete. I don't know. But I do like that this was a contest that Airbus hosted. It was actually two winners, technically uh-huh. three, I guess. It was two kids, I think a brother and a sister and another guy submitted two winning results and then they kind of crammed them together to make one winning entry. Neither of them had the carbon fiber tail, which is interesting. No. Both of them had one of them from the Iverson brothers, original, had uh, A350 in a black font, A350F over the kind of cardboard colored on the tail and the other one, the John Feenan original design, had 
kind of, you know, that label that says this way up on the box that points in the correct direction. That, which I think was pretty interesting. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. And I'm sorry, it wasn't brother and sister. It was brothers. Two uh, brothers, Quentin and brothers. Elliston. Thank you. From Calgary, Canada. That's awesome. I love mm-hmm. that these kids and other guy are going to be able to see their designs well, on and, an actual and the guy And the guy did it because his son told him to. So he did what, what any good dad would do. And- excuses there? Come on. Yeah. I'm disappointed you didn't do it. <laughs> I did do it, but I oh, didn't okay. feel it would be. I didn't feel it would be appropriate if we actually participated in that. Oh, okay. Well, Airbus did create some scale models of these airplanes that they had. They sure the did. Air show. And I am extremely jealous. And Anthony, if you're listening, you know my address. I wouldn't mind <laughs> feel adding free to, send to my bookshelf. Shameless plug there. there you take what you can get. You don't, don't worry about it. I need one of these because it is really awesome looking. Take what you can get. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, so look for that on the first Airbus A350 freighter. That first flight will take place in 2025. So you've got almost two years until for this the first flight, But it will be until painted flies. next year out and about doing ground things in sure. 2024. Sure. So yeah, we await our first look at the actual aircraft, but you can look at a rendering linked in the show notes. Other things, a few bits of news and then a couple of things I want to discuss a bit more in depth as we move on with the Paris Air Show notes. This happened right before the Paris Air Show, but still noteworthy, I think. United picked the Pratt & Whitney geared turbofan engine for its A321neo and A321XLR order. So we'll talk about the geared turbofan in a moment. And then switching- Yeah. And then talking about other engine stuff, we have CFM's open fan rise will fly on the newly named X66A in a few years time. So we're looking for that coming to the X66A, which is the formerly known as the transonic truss braced wing design. See, X66A is just so much better. And that will come in 2028. That is going to be an interesting looking looking aircraft. It's going to be two aircraft. I'm reading off John Ostrower's The Air Current reporting here, but it will be a pair of McDonnell Douglas MD-9030 aircraft with their fuselage shortened with the wing truss bracing thing and open ducted fan engines. That is, I need to see this. It's going to be good. We covered the Rise engine. I'll have to go back and put a link, but we've covered the Rise engine before. I think it was after the... Airbus days in 2021, maybe. The RISE is not just a name. It stands for Revolutionary Innovation for Sustainable Engines. Uh, and so the RISE like, engine- I hope that doesn't stick as the commercial name for it. I hope that's just the best I'm sure name. it'll be called something else. But this is an unducted open fan engine that just looks, I mean, it looks like it means business. So that's going to be really cool to see what they put together with the X66A and, and this particular engine. So I'm looking forward to seeing that in a couple of years time. Speaking of engines, this is not new news, but it's interesting that the reiteration comes for the Paris Air Show. This is of course Sir Tim Clark speaking at the Paris Air Show or just before the Paris Air Show saying that he wants Airbus to do an A380neo. 
He said the both engines available for the A380 now were designed 30 years ago. So at this point, putting perhaps the Rolls-Royce Ultra fan on the A380 could decrease fuel burn by 25%. I can just imagine Cork and Airbus going back and forth with Cork saying, come on, and Airbus saying, no. Cork just going, come on, <laughs> Airbus just saying, no, no, leave us alone. I mean, Airbus tried yep. with the A380 plus years ago, which I think was limited Ish. to like sort of different winglets and some other ancillary changes, but a re-engining of the 380 is just, I mean, they have to ask for it, but it's never going to happen because Emirates would be literally the only customer for such a thing. I mean, I wonder how much Emirates would have to agree to pay to get Airbus to do it. Because Airbus's argument has been, look, it's not just a new engine. You can't, it, we couldn't just put the, take off either the Engine Alliance engines or the current Rolls-Royce engines and install the new ultrafans. We would need to redesign the wing to accommodate these much larger engines. So, no. But also, the A350-1000 is a perfectly acceptable successor to the A380. Tim Clark says, that's a bunch of hooey. And yeah, you can't put a shower on that. Give me my A380 Neo. So, I mean, I certainly get both arguments. I think Airbus is certainly in a much better position to say no than Emirates is to, to demand a yes. But it's interesting to kind of back of the napkin math here to see what that would look like. And I would love to see a prototype at least. I mean, I think that would yeah. be cool to see. Never going to happen, but doesn't stop Emirates from asking. Because if they don't ask, who will? Nobody. Nobody's going to ask. We actually have a piece on the blog this week looking at the numbers for the A380 operations from 2019 through April of this year. Everybody already knows the story of how the A380, the A380 is Emirates aircraft. But looking at the numbers, I mean, the, the chart is just it's stark relief. The A380 is an Emirates aircraft, and everyone else is just kind of has a few around. Yeah. And in dwindling numbers, of course. And dwindling numbers. What else is there? Jason, it looks like you've crossed something out in this next story. Explain that one to me. I've crossed the R out of the CR929. The R stands for Russia. Because China doesn't want anything to do with Russia in its upcoming CR929 widebody project. How about that? Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. We all know about CR919, which is China's in-house developed by by Comac narrowbody aircraft that just very recently entered service with China Eastern to much domestic fanfare and pride. But then there's the CR929, which is a long-range wide-body aircraft, which kind of looks like the 7.8. I, I feel like it leans more towards the 7.8 than the A350 visually. I don't know if you take that same. I'm not sure I've really given it much thought, but yeah, I'll go with it pending further consideration. Looks a little <laughs> more like a 7.8.7, but this was supposed to be an aircraft jointly built between Comac, the Chinese aircraft manufacturer, and the Russian aircraft manufacturer, UAC, United Aircraft Corporation, that is apparently no longer happening. Once again, confirmed by the air currents, John Ostrauer's reporting at the Paris Air Show. This is one of the benefits of actually going to a thing like the air show and seeing things. Uh, all of the references to CR929 
are apparently gone. And now it's just referred to as the Comac widebody. So I don't know if this is something that becomes the C929 in the future or if they just go with Comac widebody. But yeah, no more CR929. It is now just known as the Comac widebody. And that is probably a wise decision on the part of the, the Chinese airframer here because it doesn't seem like Russia is going to be participating internationally in anything anytime soon. Yeah. But hey, we did see, unrelated to the Paris Air Show, I think we saw the, the rollout of the first super jet with Russian-sourced engines. So that's something. Yes, the Superjet new. Yes, it is out there. It is, I don't know, it's got some new crappy engines on board. Who cares? It's not going to have any success outside of Russia. But I am genuinely interested in the Comac widebody, as I guess it's now known. Hopefully, they'll they'll give it a new project designator or something. Wikipedia says the first flight of this will be 2030. I'm sure that's been there for, for many years and, and won't happen. That is sourced as of last year when it slipped back to 2030. I wouldn't count on that happening. But I don't know. Exciting. Not too often we see major developments like this on an upcoming widebody passenger aircraft program. Yeah, it's exciting to see new aircraft being built. And I think that nicely leads into the next discussion we've got, kind of what's coming next? What new things did we see at this year's Paris Air Show? I mean, you, you could call this segment Up Next, just you like could. Airbus is called. Yeah, Airbus, apparently. Right. I didn't even know this until well, today. Airbus has a, a thing called Up Next, which is their tech demonstrators for technology that will hopefully maybe one day be incorporated into passenger aircraft, or I guess really all aircraft. Did not know Up Next was a thing, but I did see at the Paris Air Show this week, yesterday on the 20th, they announced something called High Power, which we've talked about before, hydrogen powering the engines of the aircraft. So you'd have massive cryogenic tanks on board with hydrogen that actually is the fuel for the engines on board. But before we take that kind of giant leap to a new fuel for propulsion, Airbus is going to start with a, a small step towards replacing the jet fuel-powered APU on board with a fuel cell-powered APU on a tech demonstrator A330, which is super cool. Interesting. Yeah, it says... The A330, I don't believe we know which A330, but that doesn't really matter right now, will go up to 33,000 feet and they will fly the aircraft for one hour and take up to 10,000 kilograms of gaseous hydrogen, obviously reducing the, the CO2 and, and other emissions that the APU would traditionally spew out. And this should hopefully take to the air by 2025, so not all that far in the future, but this seems like a win. If you can take the jet fuel-powered APU, which is the little uh, turbine engine in the, the rear of the aircraft that powers all of the electrical systems on board the aircraft while it's on the ground, provides air conditioning, hydraulic power, all that good stuff you need to prepare for a flight, and also is activated in the air in case there's some sort of electrical issue, an engine failure of some sort, replacing that with basically a clean burning fuel like hydrogen, which just produces water instead of something that requires jet fuel, That's this is interesting. I'm really excited to see if this is something that could be feasible to deploy on not just future aircraft, but if they can do it, a tech demonstrator A330, why not the real ones that are out there flying? Yeah. I mean, eventually some of this stuff is going to have to be proven to work and then be put on certified aircraft. Well, it's right there in the name. It's up next. So maybe it's up next. I don't know. <laughs> that's what's up I next. I don't know. But that's interesting. It's radical in that it's a completely different fuel, but not 
to power the aircraft. It's just for the APU. So that's, I don't know, this is interesting and I feel like it deserves more attention. So here it is. All right. Well, thank you, sir. Let's talk about Pratt & Whitney. Oh, boy. Speaking at the Paris Air Show, Pratt & Whitney's President Shane Eddy said, 10% of our operational fleet is out of service, waiting engines. That's, That's not great. It's not great at all. That's a lot of airplanes. That's 150 some odd airplanes, almost 150 airplanes across the, let's see, Embraer E2 series, A220, and A320 Neo family. Not great. This comes as Wizz Air has recently said that it is moving its A321 Neos out of the Middle East in favor of the A321 COs, not because they aren't subject to the same conditions, I mean, same en- or different engines just operating in the same conditions, but the CEO engines are a known quantity and they know what performance they're going to get. It's a mature technology and the Wiz is comfortable doing that. Turkish has some A320 when Neos parked because of engine issues. And, you know, Pratt and Whitney says that they're addressing the issue. They say that the new upgrade that is coming out and has come out, they're trying to make the engine work, you know, how airlines expect the engine to work. And they are also addressing the fact that airlines have complained that even if they are first in line to get the engines fixed, there's just not enough capacity to fix them. And we've talked about this in the past as well. So PW for its side says that by 2028, they will have doubled their maintenance capacity, but that's still four years or five yeah, years. 2028 is a long way. I don't even now. know what year it is. 2023. So 2028 is not tomorrow, unfortunately, which is, well, I'm sure most of these airlines would prefer this to be a fix yesterday rather than tomorrow. Right. But right. 2028, man, that's a long way off. Not great. That's kind of where it's coming, coming to. And I can't imagine that it was a, a thoroughly exciting. Paris Air Show for Pratt and Whitney, but airlines are still choosing. Like we talked about at the somewhere early on in the show, United chose the GTF for their A321 and A321 XLRs. So I mean, they are still picking up orders. So airlines still believe that they can get the power out of these engines that they want and deserve. And I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, and as we know today, the A220 only has one engine option. That would be yep. the, the Pratt & Whitney geared turbofan. And uh, man, this, this is John Ostrauer guys all over the place in Paris. But yet mm. again, from the air current, we see that GE and through its joint venture CFM, they have signaled their interest to provide possibly a second engine option for the A220. But here's the twist. It would be mm. for the hypothetical A220-500 stretch variant, which does not exist which may not I was going to say, you, you, know, you know it wasn't announced at the Paris Air Show? Yes. Unfortunately, an A22500 is not a thing. It may never be a thing. I would like it to be a thing, and I'm sure many airlines would love it to be a thing. And I especially think they would doubly love an A3, A22500 with engines other than Pratt & Whitney right now, just for some competition. Never great to have a, a single 
source engine like that. If you can have more options, great. But I mean, I guess it's worked out fine for the 737 for all all of these many decades. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if if the A2 2500 is ever ever a thing, GE apparently wants a part of that. You say, hey, we'll we'll throw our hat in the ring for that. Yeah, why not the 100 or 300? I don't know. But if they ever ever decide to stretch that aircraft, look for some GE engines, maybe. 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 All right. There's a few other things that are worth discussing that are not Paris Air Show, but I'm glad we made it this far into the Paris Air Show because it, it tells me two things. One, there was a lot of news, and that's a really good thing to see that there was a lot of action, there was a lot going on. And it's only Wednesday. We record on Wednesday. The show still has a few more days. But the nice thing about that is our colleague Chris is at the Paris Air Show. He has been tooling around, seeing the sights, riding the rides, living the action. And we'll hear anything that we missed. We'll pick up with Chris next week. And he's also got some interesting stuff going on tomorrow, Thursday, that we'll hear about next week and will also be available on our YouTube channel in the near future. Think behind the scenes footage with some of the flying display crew and some flight deck footage. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, not that we can show you, but there have been a lot of fun looking flight demos over at uh, Paris this year. You had the 777X, the 73 Max 10 E195E2, a FedEx ATR, which is interesting. Now, we we know that uh, if they're delivering boxes and want to do some hygiene maneuvers, they can do that. The Volocopter thing, the little like, how many rotors does that aircraft have? A lot. A lot. A lot. A yeah. Lot. The uh, Airbus know. A321XLR. I don't know F35. if that was in the flying display, though. That was not yeah. in the flying A321 display. A321XLR? Yeah. When did that happen? The first three days of the show? And then mm. the rest of the days of the show? If you say so. I do say so because okay. you're going to see footage from the flight tech next week. Okay. I've gotten from the air show people that they're, they're clips of all the flying displays. And apparently that hasn't made the cut because everything else has. But the 321 apparently isn't isn't interesting enough. But if you want to watch oh, an F-35 do some magic things in the air or you an E-195 E-2, you can, you can watch that. There you go. Huh. Okay. So this happened, I think, right after we recorded last week, you know, Thursday morning, Australia time. And of course, we didn't get to put it in last week's show. So here it is in this week's show. Qantas has unveiled its entire cabin now for the Project Sunrise A350-1000 aircraft. So before, when they first revealed things, we had an inkling of what things were going to look like in the back of the aircraft. We got a a lovely view of the first class suites. We got a decent overview of the business class that looks like a business class area. And we got this fun rendering of the Qantas A350 well-being zone. But now we've gotten a closer look at what they're actually going to have on the aircraft in the premium economy and economy cabins and the well-being zone, which is to say, it okay. Okay. Well, I'm glad you you toned it down there a bit because really the, the story is here that Qantas is just putting on absolute masterclass on stretching the earned media for what is basically a, a thing that will happen in the future. There is nothing particularly exciting about these aircraft. It, it's nice. All new business class and first class and economy seats 
they're nice. What Air New Zealand is doing with SkyNest, with an actual series of bunk beds for economy, that is interesting. What Qantas is doing is basically taking uh, unused space on the aircraft or a, a galley that they ordinarily wouldn't be able to put fixtures in and just putting like some area you can sit and stretch in, which you could already do in the galley to the chagrin of flight attendants, I guess. There's nothing special or unique here, but yeah, call me when you got bunk beds. Uh, okay. Fair yeah. enough. As you said, it, it's nice. It's fine, but it's, it's nice. not it's revolutionary. Fine. It's, it's nothing, nothing standout like Air New Zealand. No. The one comment that we got that really hit home with me when, when we posted about this is, I bet you still can't put a water bottle in the seat back. Mm. I was like, wow, yeah, that's, I mean, I always just kind of jam it in there. But it would be nice to be able to fit a water bottle in the seat back in economy. Yeah. There are some seats where you can do that. There are some seats where you can't do that. I, I just had this conversation recently on a, a Transcon trip where we flew Alaska out to Seattle and, and you really couldn't put a water bottle on the seat pack because it was kind of that annoying one where it's like netting. It's really yeah. firm and you, can, like, you can't put yeah. much of anything in there. And then we flew Delta back where they had like three different pockets where you could put things. And one of them was a water bottle, which is useful. And on a long, long, long longest flight in the world flight, you're going to want water and you're going to want somewhere to put that water. And thinking about that would be would be nice. That's a good point. That Ian. would be nice. Yeah. That wasn't even my, my point. That was a, a comment from someone who who may in fact be flying on this particular aircraft one day. Well, thank you. So in Australia. So, so good job thinking about that. Yeah. So that was that was nice of them. Maybe they'll do like the gerbil cage where you like have a water bottle attached to like where the oxygen mask drops down and they'll just have a straw. Well, they've already taken away all the overhead air vents, so I can't see them installing uh, water. Gerbil straws. <laughs> Ger gerbil straws as much as I would love that. Just give me the damn air vents back. We could get, we can figure out water later. We could do an entire podcast on air vents. I, I believe in us. Uh, I don't want to talk about it. All right. In that case, we'll talk briefly about KLM who we talked a few episodes ago about KLM being tasked with the Dutch government to cut, basically cut 20% of, of its flying program at Schiphol, which would I mean, dramatically impact their ability to operate out of their largest airport. So KLM says, well, hold on, let's figure this out. Let's spend more money. And this is their proposal to the government because they say the government's proposal is completely unworkable and just not going to happen. So what they say is they will spend up to 7 billion euros on new, cleaner, and more efficient aircraft, which are, and the issue here is noise and emissions. So these new aircraft would be 50% more, they say more silent, but I'll give the uh, translation here okay. an issue. 50% quieter. They'll implement technology. So alternate flight approach procedures, think continuous descent and, and, and things like that so that aircraft spend less time at lower altitudes and create less noise over a, a wider area. What they don't spill out there is that that adds more noise to a narrow area, but we'll, we'll let them go for that for now. KLM also says that we're going to need some help and everyone's going to need to pitch in here. And they will also adjust their, their flying program to only use the quietest aircraft in their fleet for night flights. So that'll be interesting to see how okay. the government reacts to that. Kind of feels like a lot of these things they were they were doing anyway, like new aircraft, they were already taking a lot of new aircraft and they are just by design yep. quieter. Yep. So, okay. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these other like alternative flight approaches, that, that's great, but that's already- yep. Going to happen anyway. <laughs> ongoing for decades. And then the, using the quieter aircraft at night, 
that's, I guess, interesting, really difficult, because are they just going to put the 737s to bed at 8 p.m. and say, okay, no no more flying for you? Yes, they'll tuck them in. They'll put uh, it okay. nice. They'll nice put them in the hangar. They'll, they'll be nice and, and, and cozy. Keep them warm. It will be interesting if they have higher landing fees for noisier aircraft. I suspect uh, KLM's very close partner, Delta, will have something to say about that because <laughs> Delta's aircraft are old and noisy. A lot of 767s, a lot of old A330s, which are very loud. So Delta might have a thing or two to say about this. But really what it seems like is that the Dutch would be happy if they just said, KLM, could you just stop existing? Just call it quits. And they would be happy without that outcome. Wouldn't be great for, uh, you know, national airline, but... I don't know if I'd go that far. It certainly seems like that's what they're trying to do very suddenly these last few months, it seems like even. I don't think it's really been a, a change over the last few months. I think it's just that these procedures and policies are finally coming to to a head where they, like things have been building. I don't think this came out of nowhere. Or maybe intensified. Yeah, we'll go with intensified. I'll, I'll take that. Other news that was not a part of the Paris Air Show that possibly could have been Turkish Airlines is holding back its long-awaited and much-anticipated aircraft order for up to, I'm using quotes here, up to 600 aircraft after Turkey's recent presidential elections and other things happening domestically, they're kind of waiting till till the fanfare, I guess, dies down, and then they'll make their order. So keep could an eye out for that. Indigo. Could have, but they could did have, not. Could have had the world's largest, shortest-lived, largest order in history. So close. Yeah. But keep an eye out for that because it's still on the horizon. And then lastly, I thought this was a, a really interesting story about how putting the work in and making a seemingly minor change to operating procedures can have a big effect. So lot 787s were previously at ETOPS 180. So they were allowed to fly for 180 minutes on one engine at standard single engine cruising speed before needing to land. Now they've been working to achieve ETOPS 207 and updating their procedures, updating some of their equipment so that they can fly the polar route between Tokyo and Warsaw. The change in ETOPS from 180 to 207 gives them the ability to fly over the polar route and saves them up to 90 minutes of flight time on that particular route. So just a 27-minute increase in their ETOPS rating will save 90 minutes per flight. That's a lot of fuel saved and a lot of new connections possible, I guess, at Warsaw. That's fun. Nothing, I don't think there's anything technical or anything hardware-wise on the aircraft they had to change. I think this is just no, crew training that, and they manuals did. and no. procedures. Did they? What did they do? Yes. They didn't change to the aircraft itself, but these are changes to the items carried aboard the aircraft. And I'm glad you uh, brought that up. Tell me more. The crew now has polar survival suits. Ooh. There are Mylar blankets on board for all passengers. So somewhere on the 77, there's a giant <laughs> stack of Mylar blankets. And th- this is my favorite. An ice saw. Oh, you know, I was going to say jokingly, like, do they have to carry like a gun on board to ward off polar bears like the cosmonauts did or probably still do, I think, in case they land somewhere and polar bears are mad at them? Close. Close. Not quite. Yeah. Close. But that is interesting. 
Yeah. So the first fight was earlier this week, and they are uh, are now operating on that route on a regular basis. I will say that they're not doing this for every flight. So so obviously still taking into account winds and timings and things like that to decide whether or not the the polar route on the way back from from Tokyo makes sense, but something to look out for. Very interesting update and pretty cool that they put that work in to save that time and money. That's nice. Yeah. Good sir, this brings our 221st episode to a close. We say goodbye to the Paris Air Show for now. Hopefully, there's not too much more news by Friday so that we can do a, a small recap next week. But anything major that does happen, we will certainly talk about on our next episode. But for now, episode 221 of AvTalk is in the books. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with... Jason Rabinowitz, thanks for listening. <laughs>